Hey, my name is Dustin and this is my wife, Mandy, and we wanna say thank you for checking out today's message at Citizen Church. Yeah, so whether you're in your car or at work, wherever you might be today, it is our hope and prayer that you leave encouraged and equipped in your daily life. So here's the message. I love the season. I love the decorations. I loved coming in this morning with the atrium all decked out for Christmas. There is nothing like it. And I think that for me, Christmas has always just been like my favorite, favorite time of year. And um, I think because I can look back and go, that was the Christmas win. Or remember the Christmas win. You know, you just have these highlights in your life. But as a kid, Christmas meant that we would take a giant road trip to see my grandparents. So me and my sisters, my mom and dad, we lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we would take a 16-hour road trip to my grandparents' house in London, Kentucky for Christmas. Now, we did this because, well, we were church planters, so we couldn't fly. We didn't have any money. (laughs) So we would divide it into two days, and we just made a road trip out of it. And I don't know why things have changed so much, but this will show how old I am. I don't even think seatbelts were a thing back then. Like, literally, we would, if we wanted to sleep, we, there were three of us girls. One would be in the floorboard, one would be in the seat, and one of us in the back window, guys, in the back window, never got pulled over. Anybody know that life? Now, if you barely get something wrong in your car seat, people are attacking you on social media. <laughs> My, how things have changed, but we would take this giant trip to Kentucky, and it was the best time because my grandparents' house was packed full of people. They had five children, all of them in ministry, pastors, and then they all had a ton of kids. There were 19 grandkids. So when we got to my grandparents' house, it was just chaos, crazy chaos, tons of kids running everywhere. And I've described my family before, but my family is very, very musical. So it's like, if you know what Gaither Homecoming is, it was like a Gaither Homecoming video to where we were all just like gathered around. One of my aunts or my mom would get on the piano and this is every year. And we're singing Christmas songs. I know this is weird, but this is my reality, okay? So roll with it. We were all singing and it's like a talent show. Like one kid like does like, this is what I did in my Christmas program. And they'll just get up with boldness and do their whole thing. Crazy. But there was always this time at my grandparents' house when my My aunts and uncles, my mom and dad would just tell all the kids, like, we've had enough, go downstairs to the basement. And they would make us go to the basement and play. This was not like a creepy basement. It was fully done, you know, carpet and everything. It was a good basement, but they're like, go to the basement and play and don't come back upstairs unless you're throwing up or bleeding, right? So they're telling, like, go to the basement and play because they couldn't take any more of the craziness. This is my family. So me and my cousins, all 19 of us, were in the basement tearing up Jack. You know what I'm talking about? Like my poor grandma, like we were destroying her house. And something existed then that does not exist now as much. And this is before time of iPads and iPhones. I mean, I'm really old, right? And um, we would have something that's called imagination. <laughs> yeah. And we would put together a Christmas program that was really high tech. We had all of the characters. We had Mary and Joseph. We had the shepherds, the wise men. We were finding the little knickknacks to bring the wise men, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We had all of it. We had one of our cousins was assigned to the boom box that pushed play for the music. One of them was running lights, which meant they took a lamp, took the shade off of it, and was shining like a spotlight. 
This was a really great, it would take us hours to put this together. We're digging in my grandma's linen closet, finding everything to make the costumes. And I know I'm weird, but this was our life. Anybody else have anything similar to this? So we're doing this Christmas program. And then we'd be like, okay, we're ready. And we would call the parents. And now that I'm a parent, I know that they were probably like, Oh, they, they probably didn't even want to watch our program, but here they come down the stairs and they have to watch our amazing program. And here we are presenting what we knew of the Christmas story. And I think many people today, you're like, yeah, I, you know, like you and your cousins, I have a general understanding of the nativity. I know what happened. I know the people who were present but when's the last time we took a deep dive into who is there, why God included them in this story? And I think as we take a deeper dive in the next couple of weeks, we'll see that there's so much more to it than just the surface, that there was intentionality, that God invited certain people to be a part of the story to give us a clear message about each person who's invited into the gospel story. There's a reason. Now, when I was assigned my topic today, I'm talking about the significance of the wise men. And Dustin assigned me this topic, and I was like, really? Like, I have a hard time identifying with the wise men. Like, Mary, tell, I'll talk about Mary. She's this woman who God came to and said, I want you to do something that's so far beyond what you feel prepared for, and you need to say yes, and I'm requiring you to say yes, and she had to surrender. I mean, I can identify with that. I can identify with Joseph. I mean, here he had a plan of what he thought his life was gonna look like, and then with all the disruption, he had to align his plans with God's plans and get on board. I can identify with that. I can identify with the shepherds who were really, really just seemed unimportant, right? I can identify with them, like, why in the world would God come to them, send the angels to announce the birth of the Savior to them? I can identify with feeling like, I don't feel like I belong. But the wise men are these wealthy, intelligent men, and I'm none of those. <laughs> I'm not wealthy, intelligent, I'm not a man. So I'm like, how do I identify that? As I started digging into this a little bit more, um, I really felt like God showed me some things about the wise men. And so we're just going to jump in. Is that okay? So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, the story of the wise men. And I'm going to read a larger portion of scripture. So if you have your Bibles or you can follow along with me on the screen. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. said, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them exact time, the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. 
after they had heard the king, they went on their way and, they, and the star that they had seen and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So who are the wise men and where did they come from? Who are these guys? Um, the scripture really doesn't clear a whole lot up for us. There's not a lot of details given to us. Um, what we know is just there. They were wise men or magi that came from the east. And I think the question that we all have to ask is, why would these guys come from another region, from another kingdom, and why did they even know about the prophecies of the Messiah in the first place? Who were they? How did they even know about this? This is not common. Why would they have any interest in the king of the Jews? Why would this be something in their hearts? And I think that we can look at scripture as a whole to get some answers. And we look at the story of Daniel. Way back in the Old Testament, there's a story of Daniel. Many of you are familiar with Daniel in the lion's den. Maybe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they were taken as Hebrew young men, teenagers, they were taken captive into Babylon, into this Persian kingdom. And here they were expected to be indoctrinated with the Babylonian um, education. And, and this was a whole tactic of the king then. But because of Daniel's integrity and faithfulness to God, many of you know the story. He was elevated and elevated in the kingdom. And one story in particular really elevated him. One night, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he was an extremely evil king. He had this dream and he was so troubled, it was a nightmare, and he didn't know what it meant. So he brought in the Magi, all of his wise men, and he says, I want you to tell me what this dream means, but I want to make sure you're just not making stuff up. So he tells them, I don't want you to just tell me what it means, because they could easily just make something up, right? He said, I want you to actually tell me what I dreamed without me telling you. I want you to tell me the dream and interpret it. So these guys are freaking out. And he tells them, if you do not do this, I'm going to have you killed. Actually, the Bible is very, very graphic. He says, I will have you cut into pieces. Mm. That's not my kind of movie right there. That's Dustin's kind of movie. That's not my kind of movie. Like, oh. So he says, I will have you cut into pieces. He's an evil, evil king. And so they are full of terror. And word gets to Daniel that this is what the king is saying. And so Daniel calls on God and he says, oh, God. You've got to save our lives. Please reveal to me what this dream is and the interpretation of the dream. And so God is faithful to Daniel and he shows him, reveals to him what the king's dream was and gives him the interpretation, which is wild. So Daniel goes in and tells him, this is what you dreamed, the God of heaven. This is not because of something I know. The God of heaven, Yahweh, the Lord of lords, the one true God showed me what you dreamed and also showed me what it meant. And so because of this, Nebuchadnezzar makes him head of all the Magi. I'm gonna read you the scripture that shows this. It says that in Daniel 2:42. then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him, and he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon, 
and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. So the Bible doesn't really say that these wise men came from that area, but it's very, very likely, very possible that they are coming from the influence of Daniel that over time, all of these generations passed down, generation after generation, the prophecies that Daniel would have instilled into the Magi as he was head of the Magi, they had carried that down generation after generation. And for years, they were looking for and wondering about this Messiah who would bring peace to all the world, the Messiah that would finally bring an end to pain and heartache. Who is this Messiah? And so it was their their general just wondering, who is this Messiah? I want to know more. And so that's where they come from. They come from the East and they have this desire. I want to know more. So I'm going to look at two parts of the wise men's story. The first one would be their journey to the king. And secondly, would be their moment with the king. So their journey to the king was not one that was necessarily pleasant. This was a long, long journey. This would have been over 800 miles on a camel or horseback. I rode a camel one time. (laughs) I have never laughed so hard in all of my life. It is the most uncomfortable, hilarious, it's higher than you think, it's worse than you think. (laughs) So to think about coming 800 miles They were committed to the journey. They had to persevere through all kinds of discomfort. They had, I'm sure there were times where like, it's not worth this, let's just head back. This is not, this is not what we expected, right? But they persevered and they were committed. This was not just a physical journey, but this was a spiritual journey. They were wondering, the question that they asked Herod, when they came to him, was one that they had been pondering for years. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? How do we find him? We want to know more. You see, the Magi had spent their entire lives studying the stars in the sky and also studying the prophecies that Daniel had showed them. Some would call them scientific theologians. Others might call them theological scientists. But both were working hand in hand as they were on this journey, this quest to understand, to know more about the Messiah. Culture, society today says that science and religion are in opposition to one another. But this story shows just the opposite, that they're working hand in hand, leading them to the king, leading them. It was their their insatiable desire to know more. I want to know. They They were so hungry to know more. They were just sincere individuals just trying to figure things out. I think that we all can identify with the wise men in this regard. We have all asked questions. I don't care if you grew up in church or if this is your first Sunday here. We have all asked these questions, right? Why am I here? Is God real? Does God really love me? Do I have a purpose? 
We all have questions. I think that I can wrap my mind around the existence of God way easier than I can wrap my mind around the fact that God has any interest in me and loves me. I still have to really, really just think and ponder and try to wrap my mind around that fact. Yes, God exists, but he loves me. He cares about me. He sees me. We all, we all are searching. And I love the fact that the wise men, they were intellectual. They were thinkers. They were on this quest. And, you know, I think that some of us feel like the key to our discovery of faith is to disengage our thinking. But I want to submit to you today that it's just the opposite, that God welcomes your intellect and your questions. He welcomes you asking. He welcomes you saying, I don't understand, but I want to. He is not put off by you saying, I don't know what I think about this. And you trying to figure things out. If you are wired that way to not just accept things at face value, if you are wired to understand and you want to know, that's okay. God actually wired you that way. And I believe that he will use your, the way you're wired, your desire to understand, your intellect. He will use that as a way to lead you right to him. The Bible says that when they saw the star, it stopped over the house where Jesus was. It was as if Jesus or as if God put that star and he did and led them like a GPS to him. This star, what is it? What is the significance of the star? Well, it just showed their interest, their education, their background, their influences. All these things came together and God used that to lead them exactly where they needed to be. God will do the same thing with you. He will use your questions. He will use your influences, your education, your background, and he will have them all align at once just to get you to him. He says, come on, bring me your questions. I'm not afraid. Bring me everything, all your doubts. It's okay. I'm not afraid of your questions. The God of the universe is not afraid of you asking him tough questions. He actually wants you to because he wants you to have a clear understanding of who he is. That's the God we serve. We don't have a religion that says, don't ask questions. Keep your mouth shut. Check your mind at the door. We don't want you to think. No, he says, come on, let's reason together. Think, think and have understanding of who I am. That's our God. He wants you to engage with him intellectually. It reminds me of a story of a man that we're pretty familiar with. Dustin did an interview with him a few weeks ago named Nikki Gumbel. He is the founder, the leader of the Alpha course that we use here for discipleship. This is Nikki Gumbel. He is from the UK and he is a brilliant theologian and has such a gift to unpack um, scripture in an easy way to understand. But his story starts, his father was a lawyer he wanted to be a lawyer, so he's studying at Cambridge to be a lawyer. He is there, and he describes himself as a very committed, 
an argumentative atheist. That's what he says he was. He said nothing gave him more joy than to prove to his Christian classmates that they were ridiculous and stupid. And he was good at his argumentative side. And so he would rip them to shreds because he was studying to be a lawyer and he could just, this is what I believe and you're ridiculous and just, you know, you know, people like that that are just so good verbally. And that was him. One day, something horrible happened to him. His two best friends became Christians. And he was so mad. And he's like, how could you be so ignorant? He was so frustrated. But he said something that is so cool. He said, okay, then I'll investigate. He has a Bible in his room for some reason. And he starts reading the New Testament. He says that he starts reading and he reads until like 3 a.m. And then he falls asleep. The next morning he gets up and he starts reading again. And he said, as he was investigating, trying to find answers, he said it was as if the person he was reading about emerged from the pages he was reading. You see, it was through his investigation, through his hunger to know more, that Jesus was actually revealed to him in a powerful way. Now, God has used all of that, all of his education, all of his study, all of the the years he used in preparation to be a lawyer. He's so amazing at apologetics. He can defend the faith like none other. That's how God can use your story. It's your investigation that he welcomes. Go ahead and investigate. The proof is all there. The evidence is there. And Jesus is saying, go ahead and investigate. And that's what he did with the wise men. He used their investigation that led them straight to him. It led them to the next part would be their moment with the king. Now, all your investigation is awesome. But there is nothing like when you actually have an encounter and a moment with the king, that's when it all comes to life for you. So it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, I wanted to use the King James Version on this because this is one I memorized as a kid, and I love the way it's worded. It says that when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The message says it like this. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. And they had arrived at the right time. God had aligned everything for them to be in the right place at the right time. Do you know that he does the same thing for you? You may think it's an accident that you're here today. You may think it's just by chance and you just felt like being here. Maybe you didn't feel like being here. Someone made you be here today. That's okay, I've been there. It's not an accident. Today could be your day to have a moment with the king. You see, he brought you here and this is the right place and the right time. He put it all together just for you. So when they finally laid eyes on Jesus, they finally saw him. Let's look at what happened. Matthew 2, 11, it says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. 
Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So yes, these brilliant scientific theologians, theological scientists, these intellectual guys bowed down and worshiped the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want you to think about that. Something that has always kind of bothered me, I'm not gonna lie, is that I've always felt like people view passionate worshipers as the ones who are less intellectual. They're the ones who are maybe more gullible. They're not really thinking. They're just, you know, huh. the passionate worshipers. They're not the intellectual. If you're intellectual, you're a little bit more subdued. If you're intellectual, you're going to be more um, contemplative in the presence of God. That's what intellectual people do. But this shows us otherwise. That it was their intellect and their understanding of who was in the room. After this journey that they made, it was an intellectual journey and a physical journey, but this was a spiritual, intellectual journey that they made. And when they finally got in the presence of the king, their only response, the only proper, appropriate response to them was they bowed down and worshiped him. They said, we know too much. We know too much about who he is. We know too much about all how these prophecies have come to pass. We know way too much just to be casual with this. We're going to offer this king, this Lord of Lords, everything that we have. He deserves it. So they knew too much. They had only one response. My favorite definition of worship is this. It is my response to truth. Worship is my response to truth. When I hear the truth and it actually sinks in my heart and my spirit and I understand and I get it, then I have no option but to give God worship and praise. This is not something on the surface. This is a deep understanding that out of my deep understanding, the overflow, overflow of my spirit, the overflow of my heart is to pour out my praise on him because I know who he is and I understand what he's done and I understand how he has aligned all of this just for me. So I give him my praise. He's worthy. There's nothing casual about this. So they offer their praise to the king and they also recognize the privilege it was to be in his presence. They had to be thinking, how did we get here? Why are we allowed? Of all of the religious leaders, the priests, the prophets throughout history, the men of God all throughout history. Why did God pick us to be here in the presence of the King? We are Gentiles, foreigners, outsiders. Why us? Have you ever felt that way before? Of all the people who might deserve to be in the presence of God, I know I don't. And the fact that these men were Gentiles, 
I mean, it's such a beautiful thing that they're brought into the room. They're invited into the room with Jesus. Now this has huge implications for us. Why? Because I'm assuming the majority of people in this room today are not Jewish people. Some might be, but this is not just, the gospel is not just for one group of people. The fact that these men were invited into the room tells us that the gospel, Jesus came for all people. He came for you and he came for me. This is not for just a select group of people. It's for everyone. The good news is for everyone. And his plan has always included all the nations of the world. Every language, every color, every background, every race. The rich and the poor, men and women, the young and the old, the gospel is for everyone. It's for the entire world. There's a prophecy that points to this in Isaiah 49, 6. It says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. He came for everyone. There is a passage of scripture that we read often here at Citizen Church because the name of our church comes from this passage. I wanna read a different translation. I'm gonna read from the Passion because I love how it's laid out here. It says this, Ephesians 2, 17 through 19. For the Messiah has come to preach this sweet message of peace to you, the ones who were distant and to those who were near. And now because we are united to Christ, we both have equal and direct access in the realm of the Holy Spirit to come before the Father. So you are not foreigners or guests, but rather you are the children of the city of the Holy Ones with all the rights as family members of the household of God. The gospel is for everyone. This was his plan and his intention all along to include you and invite you into the room where he is. You are not held on the outside. You don't have to stand and peek in the windows and wish that you were invited in. No, you can walk right into the presence of Jesus and you have a right to be in his presence. It is for everyone. I don't care your background. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think about yourself. God believes in you and he loves you with an everlasting love. And he's invited you into the room. The gospel is for everyone. John 3, 16 says that very thing. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That who? Whosoever believed in him. That means all of us will not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel is for you. If today you're here and you have a lot of questions, the gospel's for you. If you're here today and this story has become a little on the boring side for you, you've heard it a lot your entire life. You're just a little numb to the Christmas story. Can I encourage you to stir up your heart again. Maybe read through the book of Luke as we're leading up to Christmas this year and ask the Holy Spirit, will you show me again the implications of this story for me personally? That it means I have a seat at the table 
and I have a right to be in the room with the king. That's what it means. Can we pray together? Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you for your presence. We feel your presence here this morning and we are very honored and we consider it a privilege. And Lord, I pray God that wherever different ones are in their journey, that, I, that you would just meet them where they are in their questioning. Maybe they're in this investigation season. I pray Lord that you would reveal yourself to them as they are investigating the truth. Lord, I pray that you would make Christmas and this story come alive in our hearts once again, that we would understand the depth and the implications for us personally, and we give you honor and praise. It is the only proper response as we understand what you've done and who you are. We love you and we give you honor and praise because you are worthy forever in Jesus' name. Come on, can we give him praise this morning?